Hey everyone, this is Chris Vaught, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Pursuit Podcast, where our passion is to inspire and equip you with biblical truths as you pursue after the heart of God. Hey, welcome to this special edition of the Pursuit Podcast. I'm so grateful you have tuned in. I love this quote from Sir Isaac Newton. He said, if I've seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. I love that quote because we all know of Sir Isaac Newton, the great astronomer, inventor, mathematician, author. And I find it fascinating that Isaac Newton gave the credit to those who went before him. He didn't take all the credit for himself. There is something special that happens when we humble ourselves and are willing to learn from those who've gone before us, those who have achieved greater things than we have, and we sit back and listen and learn from their wisdom. Denzel Washington, the actor, said this, Show me a successful individual, and I'll show you someone who has had a real positive influence in his or her life. He goes on to say that those positive influences are those who have cheered you on, given you wisdom, They are your mentors. Mentors in your life will make a huge difference. Now, personally, I can say my whole life in ministry has been influenced by those that I have tried to learn from, from mentors in my life. And some of those mentors I have never even met this side of heaven. But I've listened to their sermons or I've read their writings or I have watched them from afar and how they lived out their life with integrity. Then there are those special moments when I have had opportunities to sit down across the table and simply ask questions of a great mentor and then listen and learn from their wisdom. I would say that some of the most powerful and inspiring moments in my life as a pastor and as a leader have been those moments I've sat across the table and just listened to the wisdom that came out of the mouth of Ben Merrill. Ben Merrill is truly one of those giants in the world of pastors and church leaders. He is a giant of the faith. I often refer to him as a modern-day Apostle Paul. Shortly before the COVID pandemic swept through uh, America, I had an opportunity to sit down with Ben, and it was a special moment for me because on that day when Ben and I went, ate lunch, we came back an office building, sat down with a cup of coffee and just began a conversation. It was special because on that day we had brought our audio recording equipment with us and we recorded the conversation. So on this episode of The Pursuit, you are going to be blessed by gleaning from the wisdom of a modern day Apostle Paul named Ben Merrill. You are just, just get ready. Your cup's about to overflow. Be blessed on this edition of the pursuit welcome to the pursuit podcast this is your host chris vaught today on this episode we're spending some time with ben merrill ben merrill is a pastor and a church growth expert that god has used to touch literally hundreds and hundreds of leaders lives my life personally has been greatly impacted by Ben Merrill, and I want to welcome Ben Merrill to the pursuit podcast glad to have you here today glad to be here too 
Hey, Ben, for uh, our listeners today, why don't you tell them a little bit of where you're at in this season of life and the journey God has led you on um, since God called you into ministry. By the way, how, how old were you when God called you into the ministry? Oh, I think 22 or 30. 20, mm-hmm. 22 years old. All right. So, so tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, um, I, I started the school at the age of five. Uh, I was in the first grade six weeks after my fifth birthday. Now that means that I graduated from high school when I was 17. World War II was in full swing at that time. I had a cousin that lived across the street, three, three days younger than I, I believe. And so together we lied about our age and we joined the Marine Corps at age 17. Uh, he was wounded on Iwo Jima. We were separated after we got overseas. However, um, I, I went through, I had my 18th birthday in advanced training. I was in the South Pacific. I had my 19th birthday right as we closed the Battle of uh, Okinawa. I was in that all the way. Uh, I went into North China and uh, saw combat there. Uh, I was at an outpost where there were only 19 Marines and four Seabees, and we were attacked by so-called bandit armies, but they were becoming communist armies. We weren't supposed to be there. I don't think Russia was supposed to be there, so it never happened. You know, it never got recorded. But they sent the whole battalion up to get us out. I came back, and I ended up working in uh, Florida. An uncle of mine... uh, led the uh, prayer meeting, the midweek service, at a local church, and I would attend. And I was really converted by his teaching. I had to learn to go to church on Sunday because I'd been attending only the midweek service. Um, I felt called to the ministry, and I attended a couple of our Bible colleges. My first ministries were in Illinois, a 12-year ministry in Indiana, 22 years in California where the church grew quite large, and three weeks before I was 65, I came back to Missouri and became the minister of a small church called Harvester Christian Church. Harvester is a community outside of St. Charles, and that church grew, and I just retired a few years ago. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I want to thank you for your service to our country. And uh, just from prior conversations that you and I have had, and I've heard you even share this at leadership conferences that you've been teaching, uh, you learned a lot about leadership while you were in the Marines. And you have uh, a series of principles that you learned in your time of service that you have carried on into the ministry all these years. You want to share that with us? Yes, uh, the Marine Corps always led from the front. Uh, The Marine Corps had the highest casualty ratings among their officers of any brand of the service for a number of years. That was because they were always right up there with the troops. And I adopted uh, the principles of a Marine Corps fire team in that day. Uh, we were divided into fire teams, and the number one principle was, was we always protected the other guy. Number two, we always moved up together. Oh, we may have gone one at a time, 
but we waited until everybody else was gathered before we started the next move. We moved together. And um, number three, we always tried to, to be in the front and uh, take care of each other. That's about the same as the first one, but uh, I've forgotten a little bit of it. But that's what we, we really um, build our church around in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that the pastor-elder relationship has always been very special for you. Mm-hmm. And God has blessed you in your churches with good, solid elders, and you've always had a great relationship. Those principles that you learned with the Marine Corps, uh, how did you employ those working alongside your elders and church leaders and, uh, you know, the that protecting of one another and the working together and leaving no one behind? I think that um, one of the problems that we often have is that there is no social uh, life between the pastor and the leaders. If um, I'm going to really work with these guys, we must know each other. We have to spend time together socially. We have to be friends. Uh, If we're friends, we can disagree and still be friends. And so I always work toward that. But I had some um, very definite rules of leadership. I'll give you a few of them. One of them was that I think a good leader must be courageous. Um, He's got to be able to stand up. He must stand up against criticism. Uh, He must be courageous enough to make decisions that need to be made. So good leaders always have to be courageous. And the second one is good leader must be optimistic. Um, There's no room in leadership in the church for a pessimistic person. Uh, We have the power of God, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the scriptures, we have everything to be optimistic about. God wants us to launch out and try things for him. And uh, I always think of the story of Israel getting ready to enter into the promised land, and they sent out the 12 spies, you know. Each of those spies, in a sense, was a prince. He was a representative of his tribe. And uh, when they came back, why, ten of them said, uh, oh, those people are powerful. Our enemies live behind walled cities. Uh, they, one of them, one, uh, I, I think it's one place in the Bible, one translation where they said, we even saw the Nephilim there. Uh, do a study of that sometime. You'll stay awake at night. But anyway, um, only two, Joshua and Caleb, said, hey, God promised it to us. We can go in and take it. And Israel was in trouble because they followed those that were not optimistic. Um, I think that real faith uh, will breed optimism. Uh, Christians that I know that have a really strong faith are always optimistic. Those that are pessimistic, well, something is lacking in their faith. You want me to go ahead with another one or so? Go for it. Uh, I've said that a real leader must be courageous and a real leader must be optimistic. But a third one is I believe that a real leader must know where the church is. And I say that because, uh, Chris, I go to work with uh, small churches and they don't know what their income is. They don't know what their cash flow is like. 
Uh, they sometimes don't know whether the church is in debt in any significant amount. And they just don't know. And if you don't know where you are, how can you get to where you want to be? I used to fly this little airplane. I would never make a good pilot because I had a tendency to daydream. But um, I had this little thing on the instrument panel called the omnidirectional signal. I had two of them. And I could uh, tune one into Indianapolis and another one into Spots, Scottsburg, Indiana. And I could draw the compass readings from those on a map and where they crossed. That's where I was. I couldn't be anywhere else. And when I found out where I was, I could, I could get to where I wanted to be much easier. And so churches today, many times, don't know where they are. They don't know what their opportunities are. And until they find out where they are, they're not going to get to where God wants them to go. Uh, we could go on with a few more. Uh, there are things like, um, oh, you know, we, we have to be concerned about others. We have to be protective of each other. I think leadership should be protective. I've always had a protective leadership. I was an evangelist, and in evangelistic work, I've gotten in some trouble. And I uh, have been amazed. My elders have been there to get me out. It was not that I deserved it. It was a fact that I needed it. And they were a protective leadership. That's enough for, I think. <laughs> oh, that's, that, uh, that is great. That is great leadership. Uh, I want to go back just a little bit. You were talking about churches knowing where they are, knowing where they are so they can know where they want to go. Now, I know you have always been a great proponent of churches having a niche in their local community, being able to speak to the needs that are there present where God had planted that church. Can you uh, share a little bit more about that? Yeah, uh, a niche is something you do to meet a need, and it is something that no one else is meeting. Don't compete with other churches. Uh, find a need and meet it, and that will become your niche, and you may have several of them. Uh, I stop and think when I was in California, Jim Smoke, I think, wrote the first book on singles ministry. And um, everything in Southern California and the churches went bananas. Everybody had to start a singles ministry. And uh, I'd have people saying, uh, when are we going to start a singles ministry? And I thought, and, and compete with some of these great ones? And I looked around, and nobody was putting an emphasis on the family. And so we decided that we would emphasize the family. And we started Sunday morning classes. Uh, you did not teach any of these classes unless you came to church on Wednesday night and had the lesson taught to you ahead of time. Uh, all of those classes were on the same curriculum from the fifth grade up so that they could go back as family and talk about it. And we grew greatly as a church that put an emphasis on family. Well, that was our niche. And then I moved from uh, Southern California to St. Charles, Missouri. And I went out uh, to check the radio stations. That's a good place to get demographics. Uh, Walmart and McDonald's are great places too. But uh, I found out that in St. Charles County, we had at that time eight radio stations that covered our county. 
Five of them were country music. I had to sit down and say, Ben, you are no longer in Southern California. Things are different here. And I looked around for a niche. And I found that uh, in a rather young and affluent society, we had these great picket, uh, pockets of poverty along the uh, rivers, mainly. You know, in St. Charles County, we have uh, the Missouri River, we have the Mississippi River, and nearby we have the Merrimack and the Illinois and a lot of pov uh, pockets of poverty. And so we decided that we would help people. And pure benevolence became our niche. We became known as the church that helped people. Now I'm working with a small church, a very small church, and they looked for a niche. Now this church, 35 and 36 in attendance, very small in a little town. They found their niche and they've already started growing. Their niche was they volunteered to run the concession stand at the Little League games. Nobody else was doing that. Their niche will probably change as they grow, although they may keep that one too. But uh, that's the idea of a niche. Mm -hmm. well, well, that's great. So it's, it's getting into your community, meeting a need that no one else is meeting, mm -hmm. being the hands and feet of Christ. Yes. And it gives the church a great opportunity to share the gospel. There is, a, Chris, what I call the unwritten law of growth. I've never seen it in print, and yet every so-called expert I talk to admits it's true. And I would put it this way, that the leadership of the church must endeavor to put the church in a situation that is conducive to receiving the blessings of God. When a church is under the blessings of God, it'll reach out and grow. And when we take care of people and meet needs, yeah, we'll be under the, the blessings of God. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah, you cannot not experience the blessing of God if you're reaching out with the heart of God to the people that he loves. Absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Now, you are probably the most humble, gifted leader I've ever met. A moment ago, I asked you to share a little bit of your story. And uh, two times you said, and we experienced a little bit of growth. Now... Let's talk about that just for a moment, because there's a reason that so many ministers such as myself look to you for wisdom. A uh, few men have ever in the ministry experienced the anointing of God to reaching people in their community like what has happened in your life, the way God has blessed you. Uh, tell us a little bit about how many years were you at Eastside Christian and uh, where was the church when you arrived and then when you left? Well, I was at Eastside Christian Church in Fullerton, California for about 22 years. Uh, it had an attendance of about 180 when I went there and was a rather troubled church. And uh, we grew. Uh, as I said, we became a family church. We had a, a Sunday school, if we would use that term, uh, of a, ran a little over 2,000 on Sunday morning. And in our uh, church services, well over 3,000. And we counted differently in that day. I think if we counted like churches sometimes count today, it would be a lot more. Uh, we, the the uh, 3,000 was pretty much only the, uh, the auditorium count and the junior church count. Um, when I came to Harvester Christian Church in St. Charles, Missouri, 
I wanted to start all over again, and I was three weeks before my 65th birthday. Uh, I was told that Harvester Christian Church ran about 200, but we were only able to find 140 of them. Uh, that isn't unusual. Uh, there had been some trouble, and some people had quit going. Uh, we grew to um, my last year here, I think, was either just under or over 3,300 in average attendance. And um, Now, you came here three weeks before your 65th birthday. Yes. How long did you stay? Uh, I stayed 18 years as a as, uh, senior minister, so you're doing the math. I uh, stepped out when I was 82. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I believe you have a word of encouragement for any of our more mature pastors who fear that they're aging out of being uh, effective for the kingdom. Uh, I believe you can speak a word of encouragement to those pastors. Guys can go a long time if they will keep studying and uh, if they will keep making contact with young people. Uh, I can remember we'd been here in my second year in St. Charles and uh, my wife said she wanted to take me to lunch. When that happens, I know that she has something on her mind. And so, we were sitting at lunch and she said, I want you to be very careful about what you say in your sermons. And I said, well, I thought I always was careful, but what do you mean? She said, don't make any off the cuff remarks because whatever you say on Sunday morning, they are out trying it that afternoon. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, I guess uh, this very young congregation was kind of ready for a father figure. And she laughed and said that maybe not a father figure. They sometimes don't get along too well with their parents. She said to get along better with their grandparents. And she looked at me and she said, buddy, that's where we fit. And I think we did. We were kind of the grandparents. The average age of the congregation was 29 when I came. Yes. The average, average age, age was 29. 29. Uh-huh. And you came three weeks before your 65th birthday. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Pastored here as the lead pastor for another 18 years. Yes. And the church grew from about 140 to over 3,300. Uh, and I think... Uh, you know, God's in there somewhere. Let's yeah. not take all the credit. <laughs> and, and I know that you are so humble, you don't like me to ask you those questions about the growth, the numbers, and so on. And I appreciate that. But I believe it's very important for our listeners to understand uh, not only that God can use you, and you can have the anointing of God no matter your age, but there's also an intentionality on your part to be His vessel. One of the, thing, one of the uh, principles that... Uh, inspires me so about you and I share this with our staff on a regular basis is that you continually keep yourself aware of trends what's going on in the lives of people you listen you're still learning every time we get together I leave so encouraged thinking Ben Merrill could walk into a church today in his 90s and still grow a church because you have a heart for where the people are, you understand the culture, and you have those biblical principles that still drive you to bring people to faith in Christ. Yes, um, you used a term that pretty well covers it. 
keep learning. We keep learning. Um, I, I know that there is a tendency maybe to use the same old sermons and the same old lessons over and over again. And some are very usable. But on the other hand, we keep learning. We have to keep coming up with new things. Society changes. We have to keep coming up with new things in the gospel and the application of it. I remember when I was introduced to you for the first time, I had the privilege of uh, meeting Bob Russell, going through a week of mentoring with him. Uh, I had an opportunity to schedule him for a, a speaking engagement. And what got me interested in meeting you was hearing him speak about you in his sermons. And I remember once Bob saying that he and his wife Judy were out in California. They were at a conference or a convention. And they went into uh, Eastside Christian while you were there. And I believe, if, uh, you'll have to correct me on the dates, but it seems to me it was in the maybe mid or late 70s. And... Uh, what impressed him was is you were already doing multiple services long before most people ever even thought about multiple services. You were also busing people in because your campus was too small to park everyone coming. And you were always innovative. And you didn't allow uh, the, the mission to be sidetracked because you were afraid to try a new method. Yes, over 50% of our people had to be bused to the church from other parking lots. We only had 6.2 acres of land. And uh, I was told by so-called experts, you have to have 17 acres to run this attendance. And I said, please don't tell the congregation that. They don't know it. <laughs> and they just keep growing for God anyway. And uh, so, uh, yes, we had over 50% were bused in from other parking lots. Uh, we had some buses ourselves, and we bought some vehicles just to use for busing them from maybe down the street half a mile up to the church. And um, we did have uh, five services on Sunday morning. Five for, services? Yes, for over five years, we had five services on Sunday morning. Now, and, see, uh, I preach three services on Sunday mornings, and I sleep the rest of the day. I don't know how you did five. Well, that is absolutely amazing. I only did four of them. Another one went, I went into by rear screen projection in that day. But uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you just learn and God strengthens you and helps you, helps you through things like that. You'll probably have a day coming when you have to preach four. You won't have any more trouble with four than you do with three. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you are married to Pat. And uh, speak to us just for a moment. Uh, speak to our young ministers who are going in. They have young families. They have great big dreams. And uh, you and Pat have been uh, great examples of longevity in the ministry and have a beautiful, beautiful relationship. How long have you and Pat been married? And then speak to us for just a moment on uh, to these young guys of how to cultivate a healthy home in a growing church. Pat and I will be married 70 years in about four weeks. Um, Pat is uh, unusual to say the least. Um, she's 88 years old at this time. I think she's still good looking. <laughs> she's always been a pretty lady. 
But uh, there's something about her. Young men are attracted to her, uh, not because of outward appearance, but they converse with her. And it's always been that way. Um, young people talk to Pat, and uh, Pat delights in doing it and has good things to say. Pat's been a great Bible teacher. Uh, she had a women's Bible study that met on Wednesday and averaged a little over 350 on Wednesday. Uh, she's a great evangelist. It would be uh, unusual for Pat not to win somebody to Christ or several people every month when we were in the ministry. Yet she was a lot of fun. I never knew what she was going to do. Years ago, I took flying lessons to learn to fly. We had a foster daughter who told me one morning, she said, Dad, did you know Mom was taking flying lessons? I found out that Pat's intent was to beat me to solo. <laughs> she didn't do it, but she, she was on her way. But she's a very competitive in things like that. My marriage has never been dull, and uh, we spend a lot of time together. More than anything else, we talk about things. And I think because we talk about things, and we talk about biblical things, we talk about church things, we, uh, we always have something to talk about, and that keeps us close and the marriage good. Amen. Mm -hmm. that's, that's great. What, what a blessing. So tell us where you're at now. What, what is God doing in the life of Ben Merrill at this stage? Oh, um, I'll be 93 years old uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm still uh, conducting retreats for church growth, mainly for small churches. I still do a weekly retreat with Bob Russell, uh, seven months out of the year. Uh, so those are seven or eight weeks a year that I'm busy with that. Um, I uh, preach a lot on the weekends, um, not just at Harvester, but in other places, like uh, I'm in Peoria, Illinois, week after next. Uh, I'm uh, over in Washington, Indiana after that. I still travel a lot. I uh, generally take somebody with me to help with the driving anymore. But uh, I'm going to do it as long as I can. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Ben, whenever I'm going to be out, it is regular that someone in our congregation will ask me, hey, is that Ben Merrill going to come and speak for you while you're gone? So you have dearly um, grabbed the heart of our congregation. Well, you have a great congregation, and you have been very evangelistic. And you have a great thing going for you down in Jackson, Missouri. And uh, keep at it, brother. Keep at it. Thank you. Uh, as we finish up today, uh, for the listeners who are tuned in, what would you say to these pastors today that, uh, that as you look back over all these years, give them a, a word of encouragement or a leadership, a word of leadership that they can take home with them tonight and marinate on and just pray and meditate? Um, there's no greater leadership than being friends with people. Uh, if we're really true friends with people, uh, we can lead them. So I would say to young pastors, um, really do the best you can in your preaching. When I was in small churches, I used to 
imagine that I was preaching to a thousand as I prepared a sermon. Um, um, I, I, I think they ought to do things like that. But more than that, uh, be faithful where God has put you. Make the best of that right now. He may lead you to someplace else, but don't go soft on the ministry thinking, well, I'll really get with it when God sends me to a better location. Uh, don't do that. Make the most of your ministry right now. And if you do that, why, you'll have joy and you'll have joyous people. Mm -hmm. Well, Ben Merrill, I want to thank you because you've always given God your very best. And you've impacted so many lives for the kingdom. You're still impacting lives mm -hmm. week after week, just as you've impacted mine and you've impacted our listeners. And I want to thank you for taking this time to to let me interview you. It's been a great honor, a great privilege. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Chris. Uh, you have a lot in front of you. You're a great builder. Keep on building. Thank you for joining us today for the Pursuit Podcast. For more content, to read our blog, watch past sermons, or find other great resources, check us out at chrisvaught.net, and then check us out on social media. Then tune in again next week, and we will open our Bibles and together pursue after the heart of God. Thank you again for joining us at The Pursuit.